welcome to the Deadology Podcast from Pencil Hill Studio, New Paltz, New York. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. Today is November 19th, 2023, and this, episode 16 of the podcast, will feature a show from the Philadelphia Spectrum on August 30th, 1980. This is another underrated gem. This is Underrated Gems, Volume 2. Now, why is this particular show considered an underrated gem, you might ask? Um, for, for one thing, just using dead bass as kind of like a common denominator on how popular shows were. Um, for 1980, the year 1980, the October 31st Radio City show uh, was rated the best by the people who responded in that poll, tapers and, and fans of the band, got 64 votes. Uh, the second best show as chosen in this poll was from Lewiston, Maine on September 6th. That's a great show, as is the Halloween show from Radio City. That particular show got 39 votes. Now, this August 30th show from the Philadelphia Spectrum only got two votes. So it was at the bottom of the list for 1980. And I'm assuming this poll was taken around 1995. And there's probably a very good reason for why it didn't score higher in the poll um, at, at that point, I think all that was circulating from this particular show was uh, mediocre to bad audience recordings uh, of the show. And um, I remember in 1982, this is my friend's first show. Uh, he brought me into We were in his Coupe de Ville doing bong hits in a parking lot listening to this tape. And it was just it was it was a tough tape to listen to. But the Althea and Jack Straw from this show were so hot. It was it was such an exciting tape to hear, even though the quality wasn't there. And right away, it's always been a favorite tape of mine for that reason, just because the, the guitar playing just stood out from this bad recording. And for me, I'm not sure the exact time these soundboards uh, became, became available. I think the set two was available before set one. Uh, but I first came across a soundboard of this in the early 2000s. And... Uh, to me, that was uh, one of the great days of my collecting life, being able to hear this, get a CD of it in uh, crisp soundboard quality. And then it even went up higher, in my opinion, because this, this entire first set is just loaded with greatest ever versions. And that's what definitely makes this an underrated jam. Uh, just comparing it to the Halloween show at Radio City, uh, that one was was special for, for all the right reasons, you know, the, um, it, was, it was broadcast, you had the acoustic set, it's Halloween, it's in the small Radio City uh, music hall, but this Philly show, the electric set, blows that away. So, um, yep, glad to be talking about this one as a gem. And um, Before we dive into the music and samples of uh, some of the great jams by, by the dead that night, here's a little, uh, little history on the Philadelphia Spectrum. On the East Coast, the Philadelphia, the Spectrum in Philadelphia, the Grateful Dead played there 53 times, the most of any venue on the East Coast. Madison Square Garden was second with 52. Now, which one has a, a, a richer history in as far as the Grateful Dead goes? Without question, it's the Philadelphia Spectrum, as much as I like to say the Mecca Madison Square Garden. So saw several great shows in Madison Square Garden, but the reason Philadelphia definitely has the edge, the Grateful Dead played there 
a lot earlier during a lot of their better years. They, they play their first show there at a Quaker City Rock Festival, December 6, 1968. Uh, their second show there, which was one of their first big ones in an indoor sports arena, in a, in a big, in a, in, a, in a major indoor sports arena, was at the Philly Spectrum, September 21st, 1972. It's a show immortalized on the Dick's Pick series, Spectacular Show. They played there three times in 73. Um, they played a great show there in 77 on April 22nd. That might be a future uh, candidate for underrated gems because it's um, the May 77 shows rightfully are revered. But that's kind of why this one sneaks, sneaks in there a little bit. The April 22nd Philly show, really a tremendous show, uh, pretty close to uh, the best of the May runs. So that, that's a great show. My April 6, 1982 is uh, one of the first shows I saw in the Philly Spectrum, uh, night of a major blizzard in New York State in April, and we made it to the show, and the Dead played a classic second set, Shakedown Sailor, St. Terrapin, Drum Space, Truck Another One, Morning Dew, Sugar Mag, Baby Blue Encore. So yeah, I have a tight connection to the, to the Philadelphia Spectrum, and the Dead played there 26 times. Uh, by by nineteen before nineteen eighty seven, where while they had only played Madison Square Garden eleven times up to that point, so that's why I say the the uh, Dead's history in the Philadelphia Spectrum is much richer, and you know Philadelphia Spectrum has that Madison Square Garden like energy, just a, a crazy East Coast uh, energy which is unbeatable for bringing the the best out of the Dead. It was always such a cool thing to pull into that parking lot. Uh, right by Broad Street, there was just something about a show in that spectrum that was magical. And finally, before diving into the show, um, I just want to put this in context as to where the Grateful Dead were on this uh, summer tour in 1980. And their summer tour, this must have been Labor Day weekend, August 30th. Uh, they played the spectrum August 29th, a very hot second set that night. Uh, Let it grow in the second set, a smoking going down the road. And then you got this show on the 30th. On the 31st, they were in the Cap Center, Landover, Maryland. And that is just an awesome second set. Uh, the Comes a Time trucking is crazy on that. It's a, my favorite version of Comes a Time and as good a trucking jam as you'll hear from the 1980s. That's a, that, that very well could have fit into this uh, underrated gem uh, volume two as well. But uh, August 31st, I would definitely check that out, Cap Center. And then a more famous show, uh, uh, the next, uh, after a night off, Rochester War Memorial, the Ico Morning Dew, Sugar Mag, after drums at that show. And yeah, I think people, a lot of people know about that particular concert. So this is a really a historic three-night run in 1980. You know, definitely uh, the best one from, from 1980. And let's uh, jump in Saturday night. The Spectrum in Philadelphia, and the crowd is psyched. Band comes out and does something historic right away to kick the evening off. They open with Feel Like a Stranger. Now, Feel Like Stranger is a, a new song from Go to Heaven, and they had played it 25 times prior to this night, never in the opening spot. If ever a song seemed like it was written to be an opener for a show, it's Feel Like a Stranger. But it's just an amazing little fact that the Grateful Dead 
waited till their 26th performance till they put it in that opening slot. And wow, did they did they do justice to it. This is the by far the best version of Feel Like a Stranger up to this point. Um, and, you know, Bob's singing great. Everything's rolling along. There's like a great energy from the band, from the crowd. And what Garcia does with this jam is ridiculous. Let's listen to the ending of this um, Feel Like a Stranger to open the set for the first time in Grateful Dead history. Great jam there from the Grateful Dead. You can tell Garcia's on fire right from the get-go. Yeah, such um, that little repetitive lick he loves doing. He finds an, a nice groove, repeats it, and it gets hotter and hotter and more interesting for the uh, for the audience. Uh, amazing how he does that. I have an example of that later in the show uh, during Fire on the Mound where he does something uh, similar. Uh, but definitely one of the great Feel Like a Strangers. And from this point forward, Feel Like a Stranger found its home as a show opener. Uh, this is, once again, it was the 26th time it was played, the first time it ever opened the show. So we move on to the second second song of the night, Peggio. Pretty Peggio comes stepping down the stairs. And this is what, one of the incredible things about this show. And also, Jerry does Friend of the Devil uh, with his next selection in the fourth slot. They are absolutely, the band is on fire, just crunching it during the instrumentals. But yet, but yet during this Peggio, Jerry's singing as sweet as could be. It almost defies reality how they, they go from this beautiful, lush version into this power pack jam in Peggio. But that was the uh, motif here, just the great, especially in this first set. Uh, the Dead just came out with power every song, and really unlike any other set, because um, I, I think every version in this set just about is up there, and, you know, as far as looking at a greatest version ever, at least in the in the contention for it. In the third spot, Cassidy, and once again, the, the band is just absolutely ripping and firing here. Uh, Brent sounds great on this night. Uh, once again, 
him and Jerry just work great chasing each other on the leads. And this, I think, is the best version of Cassidy up to this point. Uh, in, in 1980, it's just so power-packed, and, and the, the jamming's fiery. Um, but uh, Cassidy would go on to get a kind of an extended jam as we move into the 80s and, you know, 1984, 1985. Uh, they kind of built a little bridge in the jam, which helped it uh, uh, develop even hotter versions, like the Brendan Byrne one from uh, November 10th, 1985, which I think is the best Cassidy. That one's on the Golden Road box set. Uh, but up to this point, this was probably the best Cassidy they ever played if, as far as the instrumental is concerned. In the fourth spot, great friend of the devil. So just everything is rolling at this show. Beautiful song selection and the band in a, a peak 10 state, like r- right out of the gate. Fifth song, New Minglewood Blues. And, I, you know, I, I hadn't even noticed how hot this was uh, until recently. Uh, I was telling a friend about this show. Uh, maybe a year or two ago, he called me back, and of all the songs, he was like, wow, what a hot mingle, and I went back and listened, I was like, there's there's the wow factor in every instrumental from this first set from Philly, so new mingle with blues, number five, and just when you think the set's developing a kind of typical song feel where you can almost predict what's going to be next, boom, they hit you with the cold rain and snow, um, and, and when they drop, Cold Rain is always such a desirable song to see, but when they drop it like in the middle of a set and you're not expecting it, uh, it always brings much joy to the crowd. Uh, once again, Jerry's singing very strong. Uh, just they, they were such an ama- amazing performance shape at this particular time in the 1980 tour. So we get a very hot Cold Rain played with a lot of, a lot of authority, a lot of Broad Street bully in there. Just, you know, get out of my <laughs> the Grateful Dead. We're, uh, t- we're kicking ass and taking names, as they say. Uh, then we go to Looks Like Rain in the, the seventh uh, slot of the, here. And um, n- a nice version. Um, th- th- this is probably the only one which I wouldn't consider a greatest ever version. But Garcia, once again, is just all over it, cooking. Uh, pretty, pretty good uh, Looks Like Rain. Definitely nothing wrong with it. It just didn't have a, this huge standout feature, but uh, Garcia's licks are pretty good here. Uh, and then Brent gets in his his new song, "Easy to Love You," and you know, it's a, for me, it's a decent song. I'm you know, I, I don't go nuts over this song, new new tune over off "Go to Heaven," but on this night, they are playing everything with conviction, and this is definitely the best "Easy to Love You" I've ever heard. Uh, so we, we're at this point where just this incredible show is evolving. And the, the Dead saved the best for the last two songs, uh, maybe the most conclusive ending they ever had to a first set. And to, to look at this show on paper, you would never guess how great it is just looking at it on paper. This is, one, this is why it's an underrated gem, because this is one you actually have to listen to. In the ninth, ninth slot, the Grateful Dead played Althea. They played Althea a lot in 1980. Uh, many they played it many uh, often back to back at uh, consecutive shows. I think they played it the night before in Philly, and they would play it in Rochester. And there's a lot of great versions from 1980. Probably the most the most famous Althea. Well, I shouldn't say probably. This is the most famous Althea. Um, Al, Al Franken, uh, Senator Deadhead, talks about how how much he loves his version, and it was, it's generally acknowledged as the best Althea. Uh, May 16th, 1980, Nassau Coliseum. It's a damn good one. 
I um I remember that was one of the first bootleg CDs I got in the late uh, I think it was in the late nineties, maybe mid nineties. Got a bootleg CD of that show, and I thought the and it was such a great Althea, and that's probably why it's one of the reasons this rated is the greatest Althea because the soundboard recording of it has always existed, and I do rate that as the second best Althea, and I think this also may have been the Althea where John Mayer uh, got into the Grateful Dead. He heard that May sixteenth Althea, and it's a brilliant one. But there is one better. It's this one from the Philly Spectrum. On August 30th in the ninth slot, uh, just when this space is getting hot, when Jerry hits that part, he just explodes uh, with, with, with a great jam. And then the heat that they bring to, to the final the final solo is unmatched in any Althea jam. And I, I got a few other segments I'm going to play for you here on uh, the Deadology podcast. But if you want to hear the whole August 30th uh, Althea it's on my YouTube page, Positively Garcia. You can just type in uh, Grateful Dead, 83080, Althea. Or obviously there's so many different ways of accessing your Grateful Dead. But uh, if you don't, if you haven't respected that as the best Althea, uh, I'm not saying it, obviously the May 16 one could be as good. It's just a matter of taste. But this is definitely a standout. And I think you'll agree it's one of the best. So... Althea in the ninth spot. We got one song to go, and there's nothing like a Jack Straw to end the first set. Um, I mean, Straw is one of the beloved openers. Probably got me more excited uh, to open a show than any, any other song. We, you'd always be rooting for the Jack Straw opener. But when they broke it out at the end of the set, the, the, the bands just warmed up, and so many great versions of Straw happened at the end of the uh, first set. Uh, to throw out one at you, obviously the Carrier Dome, October 20th, 1984. Just a ridiculous version, probably the, the best ever. But this one from the Philly Spectrum, which I don't think uh, is as revered, is up there. For me, it's like a top three straw. The The band is just ripping with such confidence. And Gar- Garcia shredding. I'm going to play this solo for you. And he's just... You know, it's it's going places where no straw goes. Garcia's picking and the band's playing furiously. And then Garcia kind of realizes the moment. He <laughs> grabs the moment. And I don't know what he actually did when he was on stage that night, but it sounds like he steps up to the stage and just says, check this out. And just it does these licks that are beyond anything you could have imagined before hearing it. And then the band comes in with the crunching chord play, which is uh, typical for Jack Straw. But man, they are thundering it. They had that power at this point of the tour. Uh, the shows before and after, they were just crunching everything. And what a great Jack Straw. Um, the singing, they come in perfectly. Everything about Destroy is just powerhouse. Uh, but my words can't do it any justice. So here is the entire final jam of the 83080 Jack Straw to end set one in the spectrum.
how sweet it is to hear that Jack Straw and soundboard. The amazing 83080 Straw from the Spectrum. I uh, can't tell you how many years I had to listen to a subpar audience tape of that, but it was it was worth the listen, man, because that, uh, that between that and the Althea, just such incredible guitar work and just incredible synergy from the Grateful Dead on, on this Saturday night in Philadelphia. So that's the first set. I'm not going to spend as much time on set two. It's not as brilliant as that first set, but wow, there are some incredible moments from the second set which kicks off with the Scarlet Begonias into Fire on the Mountain. Um, and the, they kind of pick up where it's almost as, if you listen to this, it's almost as if they didn't take a break. They got the same attack mode going for set two. A very good Scarlet. Um, probably as we, if we're looking at uh, versions from 1980, this is definitely one of the better ones. But Scarlet Fire was went through some weird, weird phases, and you know, um, starting in 1980 um, up to 1979, they were extending versions, reaching over a half hour, um, and it really varied a lot. Between the years 80 and 82, they kind of tapered it down, did a tighter Scarlet Fire. Um, in other band terms, uh, they're playing forever here, but uh, they did a lot of Scarlet Fires that were under 20 minutes. In uh, you know 1980, 81, 82, this one I'm looking at the numbers right now, 939 Scarlet, 10:15 Fire. So yeah, you're right at that 20 minute uh, point. But this is just smoking one one of the the better ones that could be 20 minutes. And I, I have a couple samples from the Fire on the Mountain because um, I wouldn't put this up there as like a, in a top 10 category anything for the Scarlet Fire, but. There's just such unique playing from Garcia in this Fire on the Mountain. And by the way, just to point out a couple other good ones from this server, which are good. Uh, Nicholas Murrayweather is a, is a huge proponent of the Fox Theater uh, Scarlet Fire. I believe the date on that is October 30th, and that is a great one. Um, I love here. I hear that a lot on the Grateful Dead channel. They really go overboard on that one. That's definitely the best one in 1980. The Philly one might be number two. And in... October 1981, uh, Barcelona, a great Scarlet Fire, all the nuance and hot playing you want to hear. Uh, but let's get back to this Fire in the Mountain from Philly. Uh, so we're, we're in the Fire in the Mountain. Uh, things are ripping along pretty good. And, and then he hits solo too. And Jerry just comes up with this sim simple lick, beautiful, fun Fire on the Mountain lick, plays it again plays it again and it's just so how does he do it how does he play the same lick and maybe just vary it slightly and instead of being thought of as repetitive you're like what a genius this guy is and then you listen to brent brent's picking up on it. he's like yeah what a great lick and pretty soon him and brent are in unison playing this lick it's so simple but it's it's like laugh out loud hot so check out where this is the second solo from that fire on the mountain Thank you. 
the one and only incomparable Jerry Garcia. Nobody can milk a lick like him. That's uh, incredible stuff there. And then we go from the simplicity of repetitive lick playing, although it's there's something brilliant about it, even though it's simplistic, in Solo 2. We're going to go to Solo 3, and the band just crushes it, and Jerry's speed playing here. And this is one of the cool final outro jams of any fire. I think of like the, the Cornell one definitely being the best uh, final solo, but this is pretty damn cool. It's about as as hot as a outro solo for fire gets. So here we go, the third solo, uh, the third instrumental from the August 30th Spectrum Fire on the Mountain. City, molten lava shooting out of that last uh, fire on the mountain instrumental. Impressive stuff to start off the second set, August 30th in the spectrum. Uh, continuing on, they break out one of their new blues covers, CC Rider. Uh, they kind of developed into a CC Rider one night, Red Rooster the other night uh, routine around this time period for a couple of years. Uh, very hot. Garcia's solo is great here. Bob's singing and uh, Phil's just uh, blowing the spectrum apart all night. Uh, Brent Millen keyboards. The drummers are pounding it out, man. Just what a, a powerful performance. And the first half of the second set is, even though it doesn't have that greatest version halo effect of the uh, of the opening set, a lot, a lot of good stuff here in the same vein as the first set. Uh, a nice ramble on Rose. Once again, Jerry singing its sweet, great guitar solo. And to end, another, to end a really impressive pre-drums, uh, you get the estimated profit eyes of the world combo. And it checks it in at an impressive 24 minutes long. 
Uh, the the eyes is a little quick in tempo, but uh, just the, the playing is there. A lot, and also in the, the, the estimated is some incredible jamming at the end of that. Uh, so you get, I mean, that's a beautiful six-song pre-drums. Scarlet Fire, CC Rider, Ramble on Rose, Estimated Eyes of the World. And then we hit drums. And at this point, if if the Dead would have came out and did something like they did in Rochester, like they did after drums there, and I go, Morning Dew, Sugar Magnolia, this would have went down as the great, one of the greatest shows ever. But unfortunately, uh, things tailed off. It seems like Jerry got a little tired, and who can't blame him? It, notes per minute, there's like no show that's coming off uh, with a if there was if there was a, bar, a barometer to or a, an instrument that could uh, that that could count notes per minute played. Um, you know, this this spectrum show up to this point is just off the charts. Uh, Garcia was killing it all night. Um, but after drum space, it takes a, a tail, a nosedive. You got the, um, the Do and Not Fade Away, um, out of space, decent version, pretty good, but just, you know, a, a typical, and at, at, at this point in this show, typical is like a downfall. <laughs> so it's, uh, not, uh, about a seven, eight minute Not Fade Away. Let me check. I got the numbers right. Eight minute Not Fade Away. And then it goes into Black Peter, which is the official funeral for this second set. And I'm not saying that as an anti-Black Peter person because I I love Black Peter. It's such a great song, uh, very emotional. But love hearing it, love singing along with it. But just the pace really slows down, and for the first time in the night, it just seems like the band is just <laughs> like you know trying to catch their breath. And at the end of Black Peter, there's barely a, a Garcia guitar solo either. So they definitely they were either up against a curfew or they had just run out of energy, which is. Uh, completely understandable at this point in the show. Um, then they break into Sugar Mag, and at this, it seems like it's almost going to regain and be a great Sugar Magnolia. Uh, they when they when they break into the jam, Garcia is all over it like no Sugar Magnolia. It comes out of the gate so ripping, um, and it's it's a pretty hot Sugar Magnolia. Definitely good, but it just doesn't have the length of a great Sugar Magnolia. In fact, I'm looking at the number right now. And the sugar mag, the sugar magnolia is five thirty-five, and the sunshine daydream two fifty. But for a sugar magnolia, it's pretty short. If they would have had another minute or ninety seconds to to build on the sugar magnolia, it could have been a great one because they they really came at it very storming. It was you know it started off great and it was satisfying in the moment, but just short. And then uh, hey, it's Saturday night, one more Saturday night, they split. Um, but yeah, what a what a huge show this was. Um, even though it tails off at the end there, um, one of my best friends who, who got me helped get me into the Grateful Dead, a famous taper, Doug. He um, this was his first show, and he was so moved by it. So in, in a way, this is a show that changed my life too. Um, just from the fact that it got him into it, it got so many people. Every Grateful Dead show is a life changer. There's always people that are getting on the bus or see the light hundreds, thousands at every single show. But this one must have really hit home because just the playing of, of all these great tunes was so off the hook for the first 80% of the show. Uh, definitely a classic in the Philly spectrum, uh, which makes it an underrated gem, volume two in the series. And that wraps up episode 16 of the Deadology podcast. Thanks for listening. Happy uh, Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll be back next week. 
Not sure exactly what the topic is right now, but coming back strong with some more hot Grateful Dead. If you want to reach out to me, my email, catfishgarcia82 at yahoo.com. My books are available on Amazon, Howard F. Weiner, and tangledupintunes.com is my website. Once again, thanks for listening. Happy holidays. Peace out.